from the ANA Brand Activation Marketing Conference in Orlando, Florida, Marketing Futures Podcast is proud to present the future of brand activation. This five-part mini-series will share the stories of brands who are innovating in key elements of brand activation, including content marketing, influencer marketing, commerce marketing, and more. I'm Mike Burbridge, Director of Marketing Futures and your host for today's episode. I joined Lisa Hurwitz, Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer for Grassroots Cannabis in the Herbmobile to learn more about the emerging market of legal cannabis. Lisa shared the challenges of building a brand in a highly stigmatized space and how Grassroots handles regulatory issues across six different states. We also talked about the importance of long-term brand building in what could be described a gold rush market and the keys to driving customer loyalty. All right. Great. We're in business. Lisa, thank you so, so much for inviting us into the grassroots Herbmobile. It's the Herbmobile. And today is actually, Mike, it's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for having me. Yeah, today is the official kickoff of our Herbmobile, which is going to be an 11 state tour across all the states in which grassroots operates over the next few months really with the goal of educating patients on the benefits of medical cannabis, right? So Mm -hmm. in these medical states, it's critical that we get out in the communities, you know, city to city, these rural communities, and really help educate prospective patients about the benefits of cannabis. And one of the things about the mobile tour is, you know, a lot of patients or prospective patients are very, very concerned about entering a dispensary. It feels intimidating. Is it a head shop? Is this even legal? You know, how do I get my card? All of those questions we hear probably more than anything. And so the ability to take that experience outside the dispensary, to have our herbologists, which we can talk about a little bit later, on staff, meeting with patients, educating them. There will be no product available in the Herbmobile, but it will be all about education and connection with our patients, which we're excited about. That's phenomenal. And it just highlights how much of this is a, it's a medical issue. It's not a different than anything else medical issue. You can look at any medical development and it began with people being too unsure, too bashful to ask or know. I always love recognizing patterns. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. That's just great. And I think education is number one thing that needs to happen in this space. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, I mean, cannabis is a plant. Yes. Which... I've read that. People... Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It grows like any other plant grows. And I think, especially as you see these health and wellness trends and trends toward more plant-based food, plant-based materials and beauty products... You know, cannabis is just poised to to grow significantly and is a healthier alternative to pharmaceuticals, hands down. Without a doubt. Absolutely. Yeah, and I did a little homework before uh, <laughs> I went to the Herbmobile, but that there are receptors in the human body, cannabinoids, we are built to be able to take some of the beneficial properties of this plant. Absolutely. You know? And it's tricky because everybody's, you know, endocannabinoid system is different. Right. So the tricky part is which strains or which products are going to work best for you, right? Mm -hmm. Some people do really well with high CBD products and lower THC. And for many, it's the opposite. So it's really about, and I think this is fascinating for the future of medicine, but that sort of personalized medicine, right? What is that exact combination that's going to work well for you is very much where I think eventually the cannabis industry will develop, but certainly medicine overall is becoming far more sort of targeted and personalized in terms of protocols and and things like that. We both are obviously passionate about this space. So we 
skipped Lisa. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us how yes, your my... journey led you to become the chief marketing and chief innovation officer, our very first chief innovation officer oh, on the marketing Thank you. Podcast. That's exciting. So yeah. yeah, tell us about yourself and how your life led you here. Absolutely. So really, there's kind of two pieces to it. The first is sort of my career progression um, and professional story, and then the other is very personal. Hmm. I think you find in cannabis, a lot of people are drawn to it from a personal experience they've had. So for me, I grew up as a CPG marketer. I was on the agency side with Procter and Gamble for almost 10 years straight, multiple different agencies. And then I worked for Kimberly Clark. And I, I always dreamed of starting a category or being able to be at the ground level of a category. And cannabis is unbelievable in that way, right? I mean, we are in the first inning barely of this industry. And so for a marketer, I mean, it is largely a CPG category, right? It is manufacturing. It is retail, right? It's all about understanding your consumers or your patients and insights and tailoring towards them. So in, in many ways, it operates like a CPG business, but the restrictions and regulations are completely different than even alcohol and tobacco. So as a marketer, the intellectual challenges are amazing. The ability to start brands from scratch, to really learn how to grow a category. I mean, it's just, it's just an awesome opportunity. From a personal standpoint, and I tell this story quite often, you know, I was a classic, like, working mom, global executive at a Fortune, you know, 500 company, traveling all the time. And about two years ago, I just absolutely hit a wall, um, was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. And as part of that, had to go off of any sort of pharmaceutical. I mean, even talking like Advil and Tylenol for a while. And it was through that journey that I actually discovered the healing properties of cannabis. It has made an unbelievable difference in my life in terms of CBD for anxiety. Frankly, you know, I have a medical card in the state of Illinois, and I quite often, you know, take multiple different products to help sleep. Mm-hmm. But coming off of Ambien, coming off of any of those hard pharmaceuticals and moving to cannabis has really been a game changer for me personally. So I'm incredibly passionate about the power of the plant to really help people and heal people and specifically moving away from a lot of, you know, what the prescription pharmaceuticals have been um, The ANA is looking to showcase the most innovative, impactful, and groundbreaking brand activation campaigns of 2019. Get the recognition you deserve by entering the 2020 ANA Reggie Awards. Honoring excellence in brand activation marketing campaigns, this preeminent awards program is open to internal and external agencies, corporate marketing teams, media firms, and marketing solution providers, and recognizes small and large brands across all industries. This year's program will feature 23 categories, ranging from influencer, experiential, and promotional marketing to challenger brands, sports or esports marketing, and the coveted Marketing Futures Reggie. You might even end up as a guest of this podcast. Do you have what it takes? Enter now at reggieawards.org before the final deadline of January 29th, 2020. That's R-E-G-G-I-E awards.org. Laying it out, what might our listeners not know about the cannabis industry? Sure. So I think there's really sort of two big things that come to mind. Um, The first is that cannabis today cannot be transported across state lines. So if you really think about that from a business model standpoint, Mm -hmm. you have to grow and process and sell in the same state, which is incredibly difficult to scale, very capital intensive, because as you enter into a new state, you know, if it's medical, 
Are you a dispensary only brand? Are you a cultivation only brand? How does that work? But you, you know, if you buy cannabis in Illinois, it, it is grown in Illinois and every state has, you know, similar um, regulations. So the inability to scale and to truly transport across state lines, I think is one of the big kind of ahas because people often compare cannabis to alcohol and tobacco. The reality is there's no distributor network. Right. Like it's a very different business model, which is, which is really tricky. The other question we get all the time is how to get a medical card. Mm-hmm. And the medical card process is not what people are used to in Western medicine. And I think that is a very big mindset shift. So in most states, you go to get a medical card, but that doctor does not prescribe you a strain. Mm-hmm. They do not tell you what cannabis to take for your condition. Right. There is no prescription. You don't take something into a dispensary and say, okay, here, I'm picking up X dosage of X product, right? Which is what people are used to going to the doctor for. The advisory level on top of Exactly. The paradigm is you go see your doctor, you get diagnosed with a condition, you have a prescription, it has a dosage, and you go into your pharmacy and you pick it up. That is not at all how the medical marijuana process happens. Mm. So there is a lot of emphasis placed on what the industry calls bud tenders, but we call herbologists, which are really the staff that are working in the dispensaries who are sharing kind of their knowledge around if I come in and I say I can't sleep, I have challenges with insomnia, which is a you know qualifying condition in some states, then what is the best strain for insomnia? That That's down to the dispensary level. Now, for us in many of our states, like Pennsylvania, we have pharmacists mm-hmm. on staff mm-hmm. who are very trained. But I think because the industry has grown so quickly, many dispensaries aren't as responsible and you don't have educated staff helping medical patients, which is, right. which is a challenge, right? Which mm-hmm. is a big challenge. Yeah, my first experience in a dispensary was in Colorado, and it was really more, I didn't even pick up anything. I just wanted to know what it was, and it was, and this was pretty early in the process, but it was kind of this detached kind of like, can I help you? Yeah. Situation, and like, uh, no, just looking around, thanks. Yeah. Um, You know, Mike, you're sharing kind of one of the big barriers that we see a lot of patients have when they go into these dispensaries. They're intimidated. They don't know the language of cannabis and and they don't know any of the staff that's going to be there. Are they going to ask kind of intimate questions about their health and well-being, right? Mm -hmm. And so we've actually just relaunched and redesigned our herbology dispensaries, which right now are open and operational in Maryland, all over Pennsylvania and um, Illinois. And we will be very quickly into Michigan, Ohio, and a bunch of other states, a bunch of our 11 states. And part of the premise is exactly what you just described, which is break down those intimidation barriers, make it feel more like a coffee shop, you know, conversations. One of our big tenants is conversations, not transactions, right? Mm -hmm. Have a conversation with a patient, talk to them about their condition. That's that human touch is actually what creates loyalty. And there's frankly not enough of it right now in the, in the cannabis industry. Very interesting. Yeah. And, you know, as funny, I was like, what my our listeners might know, it never even occurred to me, the crossing state lines thing. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense, but it never once even occurred to me that that just layers on this incredible challenge yes. um, to soup to nuts. Yes. Every, an entire market uh, within state borders. Within st- and every single state, the advertising regulations are different. You know, what you can and can't do from a state perspective, they're changing all the time. So it really is almost operating. It's like operating in 11 different foreign countries, right? Right. And it's exciting for me because I came, my last role at Kimberly Clark was in a global job. 
So we really did deal with the nuances between Korea and Brazil right. and China. And, you know, this in some ways mimics that, which sounds like a stretch. No, but it's kind of training. Yeah, yeah. But when you, you know, when you have different patient bases in different states and you have wildly different advertising and marketing regulations, it's tough to scale. And you kind of have to almost treat it in some ways like, you know, different, different countries. So we, we've been discussing the challenges of operating in this multi-state kind of paradigm that yeah. we're living in right now. So what is the grassroots business model? Absolutely. What is that strategic approach? Yeah, great question. So I'd say there's really two prongs of it. Number one is vertical integration, which we talked a little bit about. And vertical integration is defined as grow, process, sell in the same state. So, you know, we like to be in a state where we can kind of go end to end across the supply chain. Now, in our dispensaries, we sell multiple brands, right? Mm -hmm. Not just our own, but the ability to take the patient data that we're seeing in our dispensaries, the stories, the clinical experience we have there. And that's where the innovation part of my job gets really exciting, which is you can then translate that into new product development, right? Right. Where you're actually developing products that you know patients in that market are going to want because you see them clinically. So vertical integration, you'll see many of the multi-state operators have that business model. In single states like California and Colorado, it's a very different business. You're usually either on the dispensary side or on the cultivation side. But outside in these medical markets, it really is that kind of end-to-end piece, which is super exciting and interesting. The second piece I would say that makes us really different is we have a dispensary-first approach. So every time we enter a new state, we go in with a dispensary or multiple dispensaries first, ideally, because it allows us to get to know the community and the patient base. And, you know, again, understanding the community, understanding what patients want, and then being able to translate that back up through, you know, the product pipeline and through our herbologists to better service our patients is really important to us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a great approach to things. Of all all companies, 3M does that. They'll take a prototype before they even think about refining it and bring it into the end user and just let them tear it apart. Yeah. And that, you know, skips, you know, how many months of R&D. Of R&D, right. I mean, it is is to a degree like a test and learn. You know, in many ways, you put a product, like, and we have the benefits, the benefit of vertical integration is if we have a new product, we can put it in our own dispensaries first, test it, get patient feedback, use that to check and adjust on the product, and then release it more broadly. But again, you can't scale across state lines. So if we put a product on the market in Illinois and it does really well, we then have to take the same formulation, do it in our lab in Maryland, our lab in Pennsylvania. And again, the raw materials may be different because of what's actually growing and what's being harvested in that season. So I could go on and on and on about the complexities, but yes, it's super exciting. So... As a dual role, both Chief Marketing and Chief Innovation Officer for Grassroots, what are your primary responsibilities for the brand and what does like a normal day look like? Uh, I love the normal day question, oh, yeah. yeah, which is great. So there is no normal day. I mean, every day is different. Um, and one of the things I love the most about getting to see both the marketing and the innovation side is it's just end-to-end marketing. I mean, it's the best. So any given day could be 
checking on our packaging. What's our new packaging? What new products are we launching? Are they tamper resistant and child resistant? I mean, all sorts of regulations around that. Our branding, right? Are we de we're developing a new women's wellness brand, which we'll be launching in the fall. So a lot of R&D and product development. And then we'll flip over to meeting with influencers, potentially people who are very active in the cannabis category, who could be good brand ambassadors for us, to a day where I honestly am reviewing collateral and strain sheets, right, for our salespeople to take out and help educate so there is kind of no normal day. It really runs sort of the end-to-end -end marketing spectrum. I guess the other piece is um, the experience in our dispensaries, right? We believe mm -hmm. yeah. and have seen that if our dispensaries are a space where patients feel comfortable and connected, we are going to do better business there. Yeah. In fact, we relaunched um, our herbology experience. So we have a couple stores open now, but we relaunched with a brand new kind of look, feel, total experience in Pennsylvania. We launched two stores, one a week ago, one this week. Um, we're going with another few in Pennsylvania coming up. And then I mentioned Michigan and Ohio. And we're already seeing, you know, first week sales numbers, two to three X, what mm. we've seen with the previous dispensary experience. Now, there could be a, a lot of other factors, of course, involved, mm -hmm. but you have to believe that people want to feel safe and comfortable yeah. in a space. And herbology is really kind of that model versus like the Apple store model, which right. has been the, you know, the one model for, for retail or for dispensaries that everybody in the industry talks about. And we're going kind of the other way. I love it. I think it's very important that you do that because you're not only trying to influence people's uncertainty, right. but there are a lot of preconceived notions. You know, there's not, it's not like there wasn't a cannabis story before legal cannabis Absolutely. in the U.S. So can you talk a little bit about the perceptions that you're working to dispel yeah. or to kind of expand understanding of? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, first off, like most people of my generation and probably yours, remember all the just say no mm -hmm. to drug ads, yeah. right? I mean, which is very significant. So I would say, you know, one of the number one things, especially in the medical states that we're in, is the stigma. It's the stigma of, you know, of cannabis overall. Am I going to be socially accepted? This is a federally illegal product. Is it healthy for me, right? Which is, you know, you've told me this is my brain on drugs, right? right. Any questions? You remember? Right. We all remember. Yeah. We all remember those ads. And now you're trying to tell me that it's healthier for me to take this than it is a pharmaceutical. Mm -hmm. So there's a ton of sort of disbelief. And then there's the questions around transparency. Who is providing this? Is this mm -hmm. safe? You know, where was it grown? All of that. So I think, you know, there's a lot sort of wrapped up in this stigma. But there's also a really important piece, which is that we can't forget where the legacy cannabis movement came from, right? You always look to the past to develop the future. Absolutely. And at Grassroots, we are very much, we're not a gold rush company, right? right? We are in it to help create and drive kind of this movement that's been in place for, you know, dozens and dozens of years at this point, and to really spread the word and educate around medical cannabis, Yeah, which is exciting. We were kind of talking uh, before the podcast of where, you know, I have, I have flight anxiety. Yes. Uh, I, have, I can't do, there's no amount of prepping and making <laughs> sure and showing myself that I have everything packed and that I'm great to go to convince my heart rate and my, my stomach while I'm getting into the cab. Yes. And CBD has just been really great 
for me to, you know, instead of freaking out uh, for no reason in the taxi, I'm kind of planning what I'm going to get, you know, with my hour at the airport, what I want to accomplish on the flight. Like, it has such a great ripple effect. Absolutely. Beyond just calming me down in that moment. But I don't just tell that story to everyone. Right. Like I would with, like, oh, ginger really helps for this. Right. Because there is that stigma. Oh, yeah, getting, getting down on the CBD. I'm like... Yeah, no, nothing. Nothing. And and it's amazing, right? Because it's so socially accepted to have a beer or have a glass of wine. Even tobacco is more socially accepted than cannabis, right? You come outside and and you have a smoke. You know, it's amazing, though. The states that have started, that legalized first recreationally, for example, like Colorado or California or some of those states, you can see the needle moving on the social acceptance side. I mean, I was just in California two weeks ago doing a CMO roundtable with a bunch of other cannabis CMOs who are largely based in California, and they were talking just about the nuances between Northern and Southern California, right? right. But it's acceptable at this point, you know, to, to smoke or vape or have an edible, whatever your kind of means of, of ingestion are. It's very accepted in California. And you know, that's why you're seeing so many of the brands, they're now competing brand to brand right. in these states because we've kind of gotten or started to get over some of those some of those hurdles, those stigma hurdles. If you go east of Colorado, especially in the medical states that we operate in, that stigma is still very, very much of an undercurrent. I mean, I tell this story a lot. I you know, went to a few holiday functions you know, over Christmas, and I had recently joined Grassroots, and I had you know, women coming up to me with little Ziploc baggies and a little edible, having their glass of wine fully in view, nobody saying a word, but they would go to the bathroom and say, hey, I've got this edible. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, how do we get this out from underneath right. the shadows, right? right? Like, why should you have to still have a little plastic bag and go into the bathroom? But it's that social acceptance and stigma piece, which is going right. to take, I mean, given how ingrained that has been, and I really attribute it to the the just say no era and the partnership, you know, for a drug-free America right. that went on for so kind long. Like take a blunt object. To take a blunt place. object to the whole thing. And really also, I mean, quite a bit of that advertising and kind of marketing around it was marijuana specific. Right. And overcoming that is going to take a long time. It doesn't matter what brand you are. Consumer insights are your lifeblood. Absolutely. Uh, They're your North Star. With an emerging market like cannabis, there's not a lot of pre-existing data out there and preference. And to your point that you made earlier, it's not a one-size-fits-all product. So how have you been approaching that challenge of developing consumer insights? Great question. And one of the fascinating things for me coming into the industry is there isn't a lot. First of all, there's very little third-party data out there on consumers or on the category, right? Because there's been no federal funding for research for a long time. So it's been, you know, it's been a real challenge. But we have, for the past six months, had a really tight data project underway. So every state mandates the POS software that's used and much of kind of what's used to gather patient information in the dispensaries. And every state is different. So for us, having all these competing systems and trying to take the data and kind of elevate it into a place where we can garner insights from it has been one of our biggest investments, I would say. And so we're really looking at things like Okay, we have the benefit of vertical integration, which allows us to see sales data, which for a CPG marketer is a dream, right? Mm -hmm. Not only can we see what products we sell, you know, at what cost, what volume, to whom, but we can see 
all of the products that are sold in our dispensary. So we right. can see trends. So the two big kind of pieces of data that we're looking at to kind of build those insights off of are true sales data, mm-hmm. which is exciting right. because we're not just getting signals from third-party data providers or from third-party retailers. We're actually able to see some meaningful sales data and purchase behavior kind of data. And the other, I would say, is more demographic data. Mm-hmm. And really understanding who are our patients, what are their conditions, what are their needs, what is helping them. You know, we have a, a unbelievable wingspan even within the same state. So, for example, in Pennsylvania, we have patients in Altoona, Pennsylvania, where the household income is about $36,000 a year. We often see a lot of veterans. We see a lot of PTSD. We see a lot of opioid addiction. And then you go over, you know, to a different part of the state of Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia, where we have a dispensary opening at King of Prussia in a few weeks, which is right outside a big mall. And the household income there is about $72,000. Median household income. So, you know, that's a very vast patient base, but the the ability to garner insights and data from those patients clinically helps us be better educators and helps us make smarter products. The only other thing I would say is that HIPAA compliancy, because this comes up quite a bit, is a big sort of gray area right now in the cannabis space. Um, We have made all of our systems and have been building all of our systems to be HIPAA compliant because we feel like protecting patient data is absolutely critical and it aligns very much with our ethos and our brand. So um, we are kind of taking the steps to protect our data and make sure it's all HIPAA compliant. Well, one of the ANA's biggest kind of tenants in that compliancy area is if you get ahead of it, you don't ever have to worry about when the next thing comes out or the FCC. Okay, great. Good for whoever wasn't trying to stay ahead of, of the ball. Exactly. So that's something we try and push to all of our members. I love that. It's going to happen. Yeah. Be the good guy. Yes. Be the person that everybody can point to and be like, well, if they can do it. Right. What's exactly. going on here? Exactly. So for new brands entering into the category, you used the word gold rush before. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there's that inclination of like, this went from zero to 10 billion in a handful of years. What advice would you give to balance that market share grab with actually building a brand, uh, something that has a lifespan? I love this question because we are seeing a lot of brands, particularly brands out of California, essentially buy market share, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting strategy, right? So they're leveraging what national media is available to them, oftentimes things like radio, sometimes things like out of home to advertise their brands or even social media in states where either they do not have a dispensary or they don't have any products, right? Mm -hmm. So the tricky part is about trying to scale or buy market share ahead of actually having your products available in a state is it could backfire in that you frustrate consumers, right? Because they hear these ads over and over and over again, and they think, great, I can't wait to go try it. I can't wait to go into this dispensary. And then it may be years based on the the regulations and the licensing and the state regulations before you as a brand can actually enter that state. So for me, I think it's an inter- it's we've got to see how this plays out. I think it is one strategy and one approach, and it's an interesting one because those are the brands that are getting the most sort of PR value. But at grassroots, we take sort of the opposite approach, right? right. And I'm going to be a little corny for a second, but our name really does sort of set up our strategy, which is the grassroots approach. It's very much on the ground from community to community, you know, reaching out to local legislators, reaching out to community organizers. I mean, you see a lot of this in politics still, right? That kind of real grassroots on the ground, pounding the pavement approach. 
And we've seen that be far more effective. Now, that being said, when we go into a new market and it starts to, quote, mature a little bit, which mm -hmm. is all relative, right. we need to do more things, right, in, including take advantage of all the advertising opportunities we have in that state, right? Absolutely. So we are about to do billboards, which is super exciting, out-of-home billboards in both the states of Maryland and Pennsylvania, in which those are legal, right? And again, starting to create some scale, right. but really for us, it is about building the brand at the foundation, knowing who we are knowing what's important to our consumers and prospective patients and building it from the bottom up versus trying to buy market share ahead of even being in that state and being able to be in that state. I come from the world of packaged goods where you define a brand by what you promise. So what is your promise to the consumer or the patient? And then what are your points of difference? Mm -hmm. And if you're really clear on those things, you can build a brand, you know, across any set of states, across any set of regulations, across any demographics. Right. But you have to know your DNA. You have to start with who you are. What are you promising to the consumer? What makes that promise different than, you know, so I use the dispensary experience model, right? Right, right? So there are Apple store models out there, and I won't name those brands, and their promise is, get you in and out as fast as possible. It's about efficiency. It's about, you know, a clean, right. modern, right. very sparse store. That's what they're promising to their consumers. What we're promising is conversations and not just transactions, herbologists who are really knowledgeable about the product, not just bud tenders. And right. you mentioned to me your experience of going into a dispensary in Colorado mm -hmm. and having them be like, well, what can I get you? You will never hear that when you walk into one of our herbology dispensaries because we really believe in the ethos of have that conversation, spend the time with the patients, make them feel comfortable. And it's, it, it's just a different, it's just a different approach. So now has come time in our podcast where we ask the same three questions that we ask sure. all of our guests. The first one is what are your thoughts on diversity and inclusion kind of in general in business, however that, whatever that means to you? Yeah, I love this question. I know it's a big hot topic. I mean, in terms of especially gender diversity, I mean, I have been a vocal advocate of it for 20 years. I've worked in all sorts of different companies where typically female executives are sort of underrepresented. And even within grassroots, it's been a huge passion point of mine in terms of getting diversity at the senior ranks. So I am a, a passionate supporter of the Me Too movement. I'm a passionate supporter of getting women CEOs and senior executives into, into big, big positions. But I'm a passionate supporter of diversity at all levels. And I will tell you, both gender and ethnic diversity is incredibly important. And on our marketing team, we have set some serious goals. So I'm really proud. In the past six months, the marketing team has grown from like a handful of people to not enough, but, but pretty broad. Right. And about 70% of our um, marketers are, are women and over 30% are ethnic minorities. And I fundamentally believe that diversity breeds better work. It just does. Yeah. The more diverse your team is, the more diversity of thought you're going to get and interrogation you're going to get in meetings, the more diversity of ideas. So to me in marketing in particular, if, if people do not have their own house in order, their own teams diverse, then how are they going to reflect the populations that they're trying to reach, right? Yes. It, it starts in your own yeah. house. And we're all trying to reach an increasingly diverse population. I mean, cannabis is no different. The diversity is actually incredible. Yeah. And we need to have a diverse team from a marketing standpoint to be able to bring the right ideas, tone of voice, all of that um, yeah. to our patients. 
Okay, now this is where we get really personal. Sure. It's so funny. We've had a, such a great combination of guests and almost all of them. This is the one that pains them. This is, is uh, this is how I feel. I can talk about yeah. the business all day long, but ask me exactly. about, yeah, yeah, I know. What is your favorite album of all, all time and why? Mike, this is so hard. I know. Um, and so I, I this is it. this is potentially hitting journalism. This is potentially the question that honestly gave me the most anxiety in talking to you. And I'm, I know you hear that from from all. I needed some CBD yeah. before I answered this one. Um, but no, in all honesty, I mean, I I went through a, a bunch, and I'm I grew up in the you know in the '80s, so I have zillions of favorite kind of bands. But honestly, growing up, I grew up in Washington, D.C. My dad had Fleetwood Mac on the radio all the time, Rumors in particular. So to answer your question, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors album, which reminds me of my childhood, reminds me of my dad. Um, And just seeing Stevie Nicks recently get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm a huge Stevie Nicks fan, so I would... I'd have to go old school, Mike. I'd have to go with uh, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors album. Love it. Love it. So now, what are in your earbuds now? What song or artist are you listening to today and why? Yeah, absolutely. So this is funny because I'm like very sort of, you know, I have two sides of, of me in terms of what modern music I listen to. On the one hand, I've got two young boys. My older one, who is 11, is very into hip hop. So I quite often am listening to Drake or Post Malone, or things like that, and that's what they would want me to tell you, because they want their mom to seem really cool, right? (laughs) Um, But when it's just me on my earbuds, I tend to go a little bit more classic than that. So, you know, I've, for a couple months now, had Mumford & Sons, like their Mm -hmm. new Delta album on repeat, a bunch of haunting songs on there. I I tend to want more sort of indie rock um, when it's just me, and then I balance it with, you know, the the Drakes or the Post Malones when I'm with my kids. Love it, love it. So how can our listeners get in touch with Grassroots? How can we kind of stay stay up on what the brand's up to? Absolutely. So I would say, um, first and foremost, follow us on social. Grassroots at Grassroots Companies is really the place to find us. You know, you can also go to our website, grassrootscannabis.com. And we're in the process, just bear with us, we're in the process of revamping our social media and our websites. That's all been underway as we kind of develop and evolve our brands. But we will we will definitely be in touch with you if you follow us at Grassroots Companies, which is both Instagram and on Facebook. You will also be able to see how the Herbmobile is progressing across our 11 markets. So again, we're super excited to kick off the tour today with you guys here at the ANA. Next stop up uh, right around Memorial Day is going to be Maryland. Um, And then from there, we will likely hit many of our other states, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Ohio, Michigan. Um, So we're going to be we're going to be taking her on the road. That sounds fantastic. Lisa Hurwitz, thank you so much for uh, kicking it with us on the ANA Marketing Futures podcast. Uh, And this is the ANA Marketing Futures podcast. And you heard it here first. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Futures podcast. Got an idea for a future guest or topic? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Make sure you subscribe to us on the Apple Podcast Network and leave us a review. We'd love to know what you think. Want to learn more about brand activation? Head on over to ana.net slash brand dash activation. And as always, to learn more about the future of marketing, head on over to marketingfutures.ana.net.